You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Eric Kosob here. A bit of an emergency pod. We need our political fix with 2012 fellow Michael Cap is here. Excited to get his take on all things political in the state of California. Let's get to it. All right, Mr. Cap. So you're just getting back from San Diego from the Dem convention. When you go to those conventions, what's your strategy when it comes to handling those two or three days? It's, it's all about organizing, just like everything else in the Democratic Party. I'm a member of the Democratic National Committee, so I have a solid base of voters that I have to reach out to and I get to reach out to. And it's at these conventions and meetings of the California Democratic Party Executive Board that I get to sit down and talk to uh, local grassroots activists from all over the state, hear what's going on in their counties and their regions, and uh, inform them a little bit more on what's going on at the national level. So for those that haven't been to the convention, is it mostly is it mostly meetings then where some of the inside baseball is happening? Are there, are there speakers? Are there panels? Like what's actually happening? Yeah, there's, uh, there's meetings of caucuses. We have about 20 caucuses. They're mostly interest-based, but we also have demographic-based caucuses like African-American, women's, children's caucuses. We have the Computer and Internet Caucus and the Progressive Caucus. And all of those, they organize themselves differently. They have internal leadership structures. Every two years, they have uh, officer elections, but Every other meeting, they have panels, they bring in elected officials and candidates to come talk to uh, each of the uh, caucus memberships to hear what's going on. Um, We also have general session where we hear from uh, state and national political figures. Just at this last meeting, we heard from uh, the Democratic candidate for Texas governor, as well as a U.S. senator from Oregon as well as a whole host of our own uh, leadership, um, including uh, Kamala Harris, all of our uh, statewide candidates um, for, for governor, for attorney general, insurance commissioner. Uh, and there's, there's panels, there's uh, lots of people carrying signs throughout. And of course, at, at nighttime, we, we have the parties that the candidates host as they try to wine and dine us for our support. Got it. And then because you went last year and you went this year, what was the biggest difference in what people were talking about? Well, last year we had a uh, we had officer elections and that was hotly contested between the then uh, chair of the Los Angeles County Democratic Party, Eric Bellman, and the uh, former executive director of Emerge California. Uh, This time around, though, it, it was all about endorsements and, and statewide elections that are coming up in a couple months. And the party endorsement does, uh, has a huge impact on uh, voter turnout. And it's a seal of approval that local grassroots activists support these candidates. So it's, it's always very hotly contested. And sometimes we don't come to a, a decision. It's, it's hard. 60% of the delegates are required. And, when there's about 3,300 of them all throughout the state, it's difficult for, for anyone to, to get 60%, especially when no endorsement is always an option. Yeah. So let me run down a couple of the bigger 
races, and then I'll ask you some specific questions on it. So did anyone no, endorse uh, for governor? What happened in governor, the top vote getter was Gavin Newsom. He had about 39%. And in second place was John Chung, then former uh, superintendent of public instruction, Delaney Easton. And uh, taking up the rear was uh, former Los Angeles Mayor Antonio Villagrosa. And then was there an endorsement for no, the Senate but, race? Uh, that one actually had the most press on it because for uh, the first time for U.S. Senate, uh, the California Democratic Party declined to endorse uh, our incumbent, Dianne Feinstein. Instead, a majority, but not 60 percent, of the delegates decided to vote for Kevin DeLeon, who is the state Senate pro tem. What do you think would have happened if the, if Kevin had gotten 60%? Would there have been dramatic shift in the polls within a couple of weeks, or is it an advantage in fundraising? Like, What was what would be the ultimate uh, take-home advantage if a candidate in a race I, like I that got the actual all, endorsement? All the above, but I think he accomplished his goal. I mean, for him to get about 54%, and she was way back in the 30s, that sent a message that resonated throughout the country that... Democratic activists were engaged, were energized, and we want to have uh, our elected officials reflect our concerns. And when you vote for the vast majority of Trump nominees uh, for cabinet positions and uh, judicial nominees, that is not going to please many uh, of us in the Democratic Party. Makes sense. Uh, when we come back, I want to ask some more about some of the races coming up. We're talking to Michael Cap, who knows all things politics here in California. You're listening to The Zag. Stay tuned. All right. One of the main reasons I want to have you on, too, is to ask, what is your vision for how a couple of these house races, especially down here, like in Orange County, like in the 49th and those kind of places with so many Democrats, candidates running and the risk with the jungle primary of all the Dem candidates knocking themselves out and leaving just two Republicans. What do you well, feel like is the best strategy to make sure that doesn't that, happen? Um, in, in San Diego, just as a background for, for everyone listening, California moved to uh, the so-called jungle primary, also known as the top two, where regardless of party, the top two vote getters uh, move on to the general election. So the fear is that in a lot of these races where you have a winnable seat, where uh, there's a Republican, uh, or it's a Republican-held seat, there might be two Republicans running and eight or nine Democrats, and it's within reach for the, the Democratic Party, but with so many Democratic candidates running, there's a, a very valid fear that only two Republicans will make it to the runoff. Uh, effectively barring the Democratic Party from winning that seat in the general. So it, it, this was something that was, uh, as I said, brought up on the dais by uh, California Democratic Party Vice Chair Duraco Larimore Hall, who uh, exhorted our candidates to please uh, drop out if they uh, don't win the party endorsement. Um, it's, it's important that we all get behind a, a viable Democratic candidate in these races because we don't want to shoot ourselves in the foot by fighting amongst ourselves. The real enemy out there are, are the Republicans and those who are supporting Donald Trump. So then if, if a candidate didn't get the endorsement, 
but believed that viability is such a mutating word right now, right? With, with Trump kind of throwing everything about electability up in the air. Anyone can win in theory if he can win. So then as a candidate, should they consider polling numbers? Should they consider fundraising data? Is there a certain amount of time, like four weeks out, eight weeks out, when these decisions should be made? If they're not going to adhere to the, to the endorsement idea, what do you feel like would be the next best I, I think indicator if you have a shot at winning? Or, viability you know, and with endorsements breeds uh, financial advantages and, and contributions. If you're not energizing the local grassroots activists who, who are going to walk precincts for you, if you're not winning labor endorsements who are going to make calls for you, and you're not raising money and you didn't win the party endorsement, it's going to be very difficult for, for you to win, especially in a crowded primary where your opponents might have those advantages. Do you see a lot of weird horse trading potential in the final weeks running up to the primary where candidates who are not pulling high or don't have any any of the things you just mentioned, are they going to try to secure staff jobs? Like what, what kind of deals uh, do you see potentially being made? And is that, is that good or bad? Races is actually illegal according to California law. You can't uh, pay a candidate. You can't promise a candidate uh, a job in order to drop out of a race. But uh, there are lots of ways of having an impact on uh, policy by pushing uh, elected officials, by advocating for the issues that you believe in, by uh, volunteering, by joining Democratic clubs, by getting involved in NLC and uh, building out a great network. Um, It's not always possible that uh, you as an individual is going to win an election, but there are lots of ways of making an impact down the road. And then, uh, last thing, we talked a lot about the big races with governor and and the 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 state or the Senate race um, overall. But what other things do you think we should be watching that we might not know because we're not in it every day? What kind of races or what kind of potential propositions or things we could vote on should we pay attention to I, I between think now it's, and it's the primary or to, now and to take a look November. at the attorney general's race, especially when we are the front lines of the resistance against the Trump administration and the nonsense coming out of Congress. It's uh, a lot of that falls to the attorney general and and their office to protect Californians from what's going on. And it's important to have someone in that position who is a, uh, not only a strong progressive, but someone who's proactive. California, we're we're on the front lines of the resistance and we shouldn't be taking uh, a backseat to what New York and other states are doing. Uh, we should be leading here in California. So we, we had a, a bit of a uh, upset to um, what outside people were, were thinking was going to happen in that race at the, at the convention with uh, State Insurance Commissioner Dave Jones, who's been a longtime uh, party uh, activist, uh, getting about 53% of the vote against the uh, appointed incumbent Javier Becerra. Uh, and that opened up a, a lot of eyes. And there, there's a 14 uh, percent difference between the two when it came to the party endorsement. And people in the party are desperate to find people who are willing candidates who are willing to stand up for California values. And with uh, our endorsement vote in that race and the vote in the Senate race, even though no one reached the 60 percent threshold, we made a loud statement this past weekend. 
Nice. Well, listen, thanks for coming on. Thanks for giving us some behind the scenes. Appreciate all the work you're doing. And thanks for everyone for listening to this episode of The Zag. We have a bunch actually that have posted this week from NLC LA alums, but also talking to some alums from NLC across the country. So make sure to visit the iTunes store, Google Play store, download and subscribe. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.